Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Welcome, everybody. This is seven weeks we've been in Romans, and everybody's still here. It's good. Thank you, God, for being here. Thank you. Romans is good. There's a lot going on in Romans, and it speaks really speaks into the hearts of Gentiles, into Christians, into into those who are coming out of the world, into those who maybe haven't had that mentor, someone who wasn't raised in an understanding of the word, someone who's trying to figure this thing out, who Jesus is, what the word means, how do I take what the word says and, and reconcile what the world is, how do, this, that's what Romans does. It's really about learning how to see the world through God's word instead of seeing God's word through the world's eyes. And it's a synopsis. He has to, it's everything in the New Testament all in one book because he's got to give them 25 years of his ministry. So I, I love what Miss Addie says. She goes, it goes up and down and twists and turns and it goes this way and that way and it's so good. But you know, and there's so much in it that we could just do studies on one verse. But when I was praying and asking Holy Spirit what he really wanted to highlight in Romans 12 and 13, he gave me love. And it's right there in the first verse, Romans 12, 1. It sets the rest of Romans 12 and 13, you have to be looking at it through the lens of love. So I want you guys to, hi, Deanne. I want you guys to position yourself to be ready to look at all of this through the lens of love. So we thank you, Jesus, that you are love. something else that he makes very clear as we go. As Paul continues to even out the Jews and the Gentiles that neither one are better than the other. We are all equal. We're all equal. We're all exactly the same. So, with that in mind, So where have we been? We've been talking with, the letters talking with the Roman church, a church that developed on its own, just organically um, developed, which reminds me a lot of how my walk with Christ 
developed. It was something that really organically came together in a search for truth and God revealed himself to me. He revealed himself to me in his word and understanding took root and it was really, everything just started making sense. So it was really an organic growth of faith versus a lot of people experience faith in an aha moment or in a... <clears throat> At a, at a conference or at a, a teaching or, you know, Holy Spirit fell in this moment and everything came clear. That happens a lot. You hear a lot about that. Sometimes it develops organically over time. Um, and that's what, that's what we see here in Romans. So he's coming back and he's saying, okay, you guys believe. Now, now let me explain to you what you actually believe because there's division between you, there's law still being taught between you, there, there's this understanding, there's this old covenant, this Old Testament, and this New Testament, this new covenant. There's this old way of thinking, this law mindset, and there's this new mindset, this spirit mindset. They accomplish righteousness in, with God in different contexts. And we're mo we move into this, uh, this mindset of, of the spirit, which we learn fulfills the law. Like Alicia says, um, it's love, is the commandment that Christ gave us that fulfills all the other commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything you have. Everything. And how many commandments does that cover? Love your neighbor as yourself. That covers the rest of them. <laughs> because in love, you won't find yourself in an adulterous relationship because you're walking in love. You love yourself, you love your partner, you love, you love the person in that you're looking at in front of you, you love the people that they're associated with. So in that love, it, it creates a new an understanding of the situation. You're not going to break that covenant of love. So we come into Romans 12, and it's living sacrifices to God. It's the love we have for ourselves. And why don't we just go ahead and read the first two, two verses. We're just gonna break this up in a few pieces. These, these chapters are kind of short, but I think we, we can dig into 12 and 13 tonight pretty good. So I'm reading, how many, what am I reading? Two. Okay. And I'm in New King James. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So he says... Boom. Mic drop. (laughs) That is a mic drop. We could just stop right there. There's a lot of black and white in these two verses. And you really have to look at it and reflect on your own life. And if you see what it's saying, you read the words, and there's some kind of confusion, I would suggest reflecting on your own life choices in that moment. Because first off, he starts off saying, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Present your body, yourself, your person, holy. Your members. Holy and acceptable to God. Does that mean that you're going to defile yourself in any way? Does that include any kind of defilement? Holy. There is no, there is no defilement in holy. So is that just maybe on the weekends I'll defile myself a little bit and then... Is that how sacrifice works? Be living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is, it says, which is your reasonable service. But the word that they use for uh, service actually means worship. It is worship. How you present yourself holy and acceptable to God is worship to him. It's your health. It's, it's your purity. Not, I mean, it's, Paul talks about sexual sin as, you know, it's a defilement of yourself. It's, a, it's an inward sin. It's not, it's not an outward sin that you're sinning against someone else, but it's something that's damaging internally. And that's, that damages your living. It's part of your living sacrifice. You're holy and acceptable to God. Your worship, you're living a life of worship. And as an example of that, I'm 38, and for most of my life, I didn't live a healthy life. Um, I've always been really weird. Well, long story. Um, that's one of the things that the Lord has called me to do, to, because it needs to be such a transformation from the old man to the new man. So even though I started eating really healthy at the age of 17, I was still partying. I was still drinking, smoking cigarettes, um, smoking pot. And I never worked out or exercised. I was thin just because I didn't eat very much and was just busy. When I met her, she had a diet of red wine and her white Humm- wine, red- hummus, and red, red peppers. peppers. That was like, it. That's all, she had. That's all she ingested. So one of the things that the Lord called me was he's, that needed to be a part of my testimony, that not only did I have a healthy diet, but that I worked out and I was, and I'm in the best shape of my life because it is a act of worship unto the Lord. And I also believe that the body of Christ should be a representation of health more than those in the world. Um, because you present because your we are presenting as a, living as a living sacrifice, and we need to be a full representation of what it means to be holy and and eating. Anyway, so I'm just very. Um, it's one of my convictions. It's one of the things that I'm very passionate about now, and I think that he is calling. And 
And it, it just, it's, and you just feel good, you know, like while you're working out, maybe not so much, but afterwards you're like, yes, I did it. This is beautiful. So it's a, it's a great thing. And I want to go back to the living sacrifice when I was asking the Lord, I think in our mind, we think of a living sacrifice as being obedient to what he's called us, putting down the things of the flesh, putting down the things but he revealed something so incredibly different to me when I asked him what the living sacrifice was. And he took me to Mark 12. He took me to Mark 12, verse 30. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 29. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all your heart, understanding, soul, and strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God with that answer. Who was it that said that? It was one of the scribes. It was the scribes. The religious act. So the Lord was saying, loving the Lord God and loving our neighbor as ourself is more than all the acts of obedience and all of the things that you can lay down on the altar for him to be burned up. Those are secondary to love. So amen to that. And then he goes on and says, do not be conformed to this world. What does this world think of their living sacrifice. They eat, drink, and they're merry because tomorrow they might die. Is that keeping holy, acceptable to God, or the world? I, I don't see the world thinking. They don't. They don't see the value in it. They they just want to gratify. That are natural urges, that the, the carnal urges, and that's that's the main focus. Please be, be live a pleasing life to yourself. That's a good life in the world. It's something that you're happy with. So it could be. Can be many things. Could be many yeah. things. <laughs> we yeah, could go all night on just examples night. of yes. that. But I think we all have a pretty good idea. <laughs> but do not be conformed to the world. Do not find yourself in that mindset. That mindset that it's okay to focus on my career. It's okay to focus on my my the, this party lifestyle or these relationships outside of marriage. It's okay to focus on my... Yeah, he had to bring us out of Alaska to, to show us 
the difference between not being conformed to the world and actually being transformed. We were trying to live the American dream. Dream with Jesus with sprinkled in there. With a little bit of there. Jesus sprinkled on top of it. And that's pretty common today. That's, that's, that's very common. That's conforming to the world. So. You got the house. You got the career. You got the insurance. It is working hard. It is, You yeah. got the 401k. And then, you, and, then, and then you think, well, I better start going to church now, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Go to church on Sunday. And, you know, <laughs> Yeah. It just, that's yes. being that in itself is being conformed to the world. It yeah. looks like you can claim Christianity, you can claim claim I'm a believer in Christ, but your life can, is still conformed to the world. Yeah. yeah. So do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We pray that every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Renew our mind. That's the paradigm shift that we've been talking about through this whole book. That's this moving out of the either, it's either the natural mind versus the spiritual mind, which is a huge shift in understanding, and it's the only way to understand spiritual things in the spirit is with the spiritual mind. Or it's the law mindset, the law mentality versus the spirit mentality, which is how you achieve righteousness in God. So there are, that's actually, I mean, there, there, there's three paradigms in, in Romans, if you break it down like that. There's the law righteousness paradigm, there's the natural mind paradigm, and there's the spiritual mind paradigm, saved by grace. So... <clears throat> And just for instance, like, we should all be, our minds should be getting transformed and renewed every single day. Sometimes it's, it, it's ours. And what I love is that the Greek word, which I'm sure most of us know this, the Greek word for um, transformation is metamorpho, which is what we get for metamorphosis. And this word is only used twice in the New Testament, it's used here in Romans 12.2, and then it's used in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when Paul is talking about the transfiguration. And 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The only way to get transformed is to be face-to-face -face with the Lord. Which is seeking him in a way. So that, I just think that's so incredibly beautiful. And then, anyway. And the other thing, too, is just to recognize that our thinking needs to change in, in everything for just the other day. So Daniel and I, we're not sure if our season is up where we're at, but I've been looking for places to rent um, for months, just seeing what's out there. And the rent here is ridiculous. If you're trying to save money to buy land or a house, the rent here is astronomical for what people are getting paid here. It is it's frustrating. 
So we can either rent something and not be able to put any money aside or stay where we're at, which I, so I've been, I've been frustrated with this. And, and, and Daniel said, I refuse to pay what people are charging around here. I'd rather drive two hours every single day to church and back instead of living in this town. This is just ridiculous. And I sat there and I said, you know, we're kind of in the same situation that we were in in Eagle River, where we had to live in this very tiny apartment for quite a few years to be able to save enough money to be able to buy a house. And I sat there and I went, that was over 10 years ago, and we're thinking the exact same. And I looked at him and I said, babe, when we ask the Lord where to go because we were willing to move anywhere, as long as it was warm and on the ocean was really what I was asking, because um, I was just following the coast, um, he brought us here. So shouldn't we believe that he's going to provide for us the provision that we need to be able to rent in Wilmington if we're supposed to rent in Wilmington? Or are you going to believe that we have to live in the hood, which we've, like, I still feel like we're called there, but are we going to have to extend our stay here maybe longer than what we think we should because he's not going to provide for us? I think we need to renew our thinking on that one. So we had to have that moment of, ooh, let's surrender this. Okay, Lord, I'm going to believe that you're going to provide supernaturally for us the way that you have been these whole five years. So I have a little notebook filled with the testimonies because that's one of the things that he's been doing about me. My thought was that you had to work hard and you could only get what you needed by working hard, and the only way that you could work hard is to have a degree and who you knew, and it was all about your will and what you were able to get yourself and earn for yourself. And when we moved here, he said, you need to ditch that thinking, and you need to trust in me to provide for everything. I have a little notebook of the ways that he has provided from small, and they're, they're getting bigger now, and I'm looking at this going, I just don't understand it. But we needed a couch, a, another couch, because our small group is getting bigger. I prayed for it, because he also said, I'm not allowed to spend any money on nice new things, because that was the other thing that he was breaking off, was my love of stuff. Talk about being transformed mind. Wasn't allowed to get anything new or nice, so we prayed for a couch. Within the week, I had somebody call me and say, I think you're supposed to have my couch, and I also have a chair and an ottoman. Do you need that? We needed a barbecue so that we could do our first Fridays out, and we did this for months out in the hood. We Anyway, um, we got two barbecuers, and and those just small, small, small little things. Here recently... Much bigger things. Much bigger things. So I'm just saying, when you submit that mind, those old ways of thinking, and you say, okay, Lord, I need you to transform my mind on this. I need to be renewed in this ways. I don't want to look at this through the world's lens or through the lens that I've been looking at because I know it doesn't line up with what you say, and I know it doesn't line up with what it means to walk a supernatural lifestyle, and we're supposed to be examples of the kingdom, which is full of super... I mean... Do you guys realize that Jesus said that we can do all the things that he did and greater things? He turned water into wine. Guess what that means? 
We're supposed to be able to turn water into wine. Do you know Heidi Baker, when she was handing out these bags full of gifts, I love her book. Sorry, I know I'm on, just deal with me. Um, so one of the things that she did was they had gifts for all the kids and they ran out of gifts for the kids and the girls wanted beads and she her faith, if we partner with that transforming, if we allow that our minds to be transformed, the assistant said there's not enough gifts, and, and she said, nope, there is, and she kept turning around and grabbing, and she would ask the girls what they wanted. Let's just say one girl said she wanted beads. Heidi turned around, and there was beads in the gift bag, and every single girl that was left over got exactly what they asked for, and there was more than enough. That is called supernatural lifestyle, but it comes with the transforming of the mind. We cannot think worldly any longer. The blessing does not come through Thank works. You. Thank you. The blessing comes from believing. Abraham's blessing didn't come through his works. He tried to do it in himself, and he failed. He had a son from a, from a servant thinking that was, the blessing didn't come from his works. It came from something he, from Sarah, who, who was not of childbearing age any longer. She was, it was something miraculous. It was from belief, not from works. And something that Daniel and I keep talking about is I'm like, you know, we're missing the power. We're missing the power. The world, they, they get his word, but they don't get power. They don't get supernatural lifestyles. They don't get that. And that is what this world truly needs. They need the power. And we cannot be vessels of the power unless we transform our thinking. This is the key to walking in the fullness of the kingdom. This is the key. But you have to do it all through the love. We are to give them Jesus first and foremost, and that is he's love. And then through that, they must start seeing the church walk in power. And that's only going to come from our thinking being transformed and stepping out and being uncomfortable and believing for things that don't make sense and trusting that if Trump doesn't win, he's not supposed to. Because God's in control. And that it's not man's will be done on earth like it is in heaven. It's God's will be done on earth like it is in heaven. It is not, God, this has to happen because I only see it being able to make sense if it looks this way. No. It's God. This doesn't make any sense, and I don't understand it, but I know that you're the sovereign God and that I'm going to trust you no matter how funky this looks. So that transformed mind, that is the key. Right. Hi, James. Do you want to say something, brother? We got a Come here. We got a mic here. up here. Good, you do that, because I got to get this, because this is going to bug me. Well, you guys don't know too much about me, but I believe in the supernatural. I believe in the supernatural so deeply. I walk out on the water with Jesus. So I was driving one day, and the Lord told me, said to me, tell me what type of car you want. With God, you got to be specific. Okay, that's number one. He told me he told you to be specific. 
okay? I said, oh, Lord. I said, uh, I want a uh, SUV. As soon as I said that, somebody called me up. I said, Brother James, come here, you know. I got to, you know, you mind meeting up with me? He goes, I got something to show you. I said, okay. And I just had got a new job and everything. Deanne and I got married. And then he was like, do you like that? I said, yes, I like that. He goes, it's yours. It was the SUV. Amen. Receive it in Jesus' name right now. In Jesus' name. Okay. Be specific. I love it. All right. That's all I have to say. God bless you. That's beautiful. It was actually white, which is my favorite color. It was actually white. Okay. Wow, that's specific. Deanne said it was also her favorite color, white. It's beautiful. So being be a living sacrifice. Uh, go ahead, Doug. Yeah, I prayed 20 years for my wife, and God told me to make it specific exactly what I wanted in a wife. So my Bible that I had, I wrote down everything that I wanted in a wife. And three years later, uh, a sister told me that I needed to go on the internet and look for a wife. I checked out all the websites and everything, eHarmony, Match.com, I don't know, Zook, all that mess. And then I watched this movie, and it was called Christian Mingle. And it really got me, you know. So I joined Christian Mingle for three months, giving it the benefit of the doubt. Within three weeks, I met my baby doll. And she is everything that I asked for and more. You got to believe. You got to believe. Be specific. Be specific. Yes. So good. All right. All right. Let's go ahead and read uh, three, verse three through eight. I was like, woo. I went off There's on a, a tangent two, there. There's a lot in two verses there. So much. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with, liber with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he's starting to get this idea of community. This is where he's starting to talk about how we <clears throat> become the church. Exactly. You can say that in the microphone. People can hear you. That's right. Become the church. <laughs> but then I can't be your little helper. Got to be that silent helper. And there's a couple of things that really st stood out to me <clears throat> in these couple of chapters, or these couple of verses. One of them was 
not to think <clears throat> of himself more highly than he ought to think. Which Lisa just used that on Sunday. It was beautiful. And that each one a measure has a measure of faith. So this is really how we see each other and how we see each other in love. Because I can look at any one of you and know that you're here for one purpose. And that's to get closer understanding our relationship with the Father. Regardless of where you're at in life, regardless of how much faith you have in the power, or if you can ask the Father for things specifically and know that they're gonna be manifest, or whatever it is, I know that I can look at each of you and know that there is, we are brothers and sisters, I cannot judge you on whether you have that ability or have that belief that, or your faith is that strong that you can walk in that. It's okay. Everyone, each one has a measure of faith. So I cannot judge you for that. Some of us have the faith to go out and just pray for everyone we see. Some of us don't have that faith. <clears throat> some of us, some of us have, the, have the faith that That, that they counsel brothers and sisters. And some of us don't have that, that faith. Um, but we all function as different members in the body. Another thing that struck me, <clears throat> it, was, it was part of the gifts, but a lot of people, when they talk about these, these gifts, the different gifts, they talk about prophecy, um, they talk about um, healing, um, they talk about teaching, exhortation, but I didn't see a lot about giving. It says, he who gives with liberality, liberality, so give liberally, right? So some of us have this gift, this storehouse, this blessing, some of us have this blessing that we have a storehouse and we can give. And if you are one of those people, it says give liberally. So if you find yourself looking at your storehouse thinking, wow, I'm so blessed. Are you looking for a place to to give into? Or are you feeling accomplished in your storehouse? Yes, it's so good. Another one is um, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. With cheerfulness. You can show mercy to someone with a bad attitude. You can show mercy to someone like out of duty and obligation. obligation. You can show mercy, and you're showing mercy. But it doesn't say to show mercy to everyone, period. It says, when you, if you are to show mercy, show mercy with cheerfulness. And when he says in verse 3, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, what I love about that 
is that that's, again, he's evening everybody out. Because this use of the word faith is salvation faith. Our faith that we received for salvation was a gift from God. Our will, our, our earning, our choice. No, it was our choice, but it was a gift from God to have the faith to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, which means this Jew and Gentile are exactly the same because even their saving faith was a gift from God. Even God gave us what we needed to become his children. And do we count that as a blessing that all of us are even here with faith? Is because we read just in the last, just last week's study that he creates some vessels for honor and some vessels for dishonor. And it's not based on our works. It's based on his will. He chooses people according to his purpose. He could have chose us to be out there protesting and being obnoxious and being just, you know, we could be one of those people. But he gave us the measure of faith that we have, all of us that are here today. So that in itself is a blessing. That is a gift. And I wanted to do a teaching just on the gifts. I was like, we could, so we, we can't go into a, a whole lot of six, seven, and eight because it's a whole nother series just on itself. But one thing I feel like the Lord wants me to share is that as you're reading this, you need to, one, put love in there. So if you're going to prophesy, prophesy in love to proportion to your faith. If you're going to minister, minister in love. If you're going to teach, teach in love. If you're going to exhort, exhort in love. We are to love. This love is just such a huge part of this. It's actually, it's, it's everything. And then, you, and then we go, you go into, right into the let next love. Verse. <laughs> let love be without hypocrisy. Yes. Let love be without hypocrisy. So yes. what does that look like? So beautiful. So beautiful. Are you Which is going sincere. out on love Sunday nights sincerely. and feeding the homeless out of love and then turning a blind eye to them on Monday? Is that, hypo is that hypocrisy? Are you going out and fellowshipping or with your brothers and sisters, but you're not allowing them into your home? There is something about having fellowship in your personal space that is very important. Yes. Because it's, it's, um, it's humbling and it's also accountability because you don't, I mean, everybody deserves their privacy, but you still need to be able to have fellowship in your personal space or else you run the risk of developing this double-mindedness in your personal private life because your, your personal private life is separate from your fellowship 
with brothers and sisters. Your personal, private life is separate from your church family or from your church duties, your service, or your, it's a, you run the risk of developing double-mindedness. So I just encourage you to create time to allow people into your private space. And it will change your life. And it's how true discipleship is done. Discipleship cannot be done any other way. All right, let's go ahead and read 9 through the rest okay. of the chapter, 21. So let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer and distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another and do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Be not wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil and have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. You know, a lot of this is just really black and white. Um, you know, there's, it's just... I mean, it's, just, it's just black and white. It is, it is what it is. But there was a few things that really, that really stuck out to me. Um, and, and it was the, be of the same mind towards one another and do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. There's do not be wise in your own opinion. There's a story about uh, setting your mind on high things in the Old Testament. It's the story of uh, Amaziah in 2 Kings chapter 14. So we're going to go ahead and read a little part of that account. In, in this time period in 2 Kings, Israel was divided. There was Israel, the nation of Israel, and they had a king, which was consistent of the northern ten tribes. And then the other two tribes... Judah and Benjamin had another king. So the nation of Israel was divided. And Amaziah was the king of Judah in 2 Kings chapter 14. I'm going to go ahead and read this out of NLT. Now, in verse 7, we see that Amaziah, Amaziah killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He also conquered Selah, and it changed its name. He was really, like, on this battle high. He, he defeated these armies, 10,000 men. He was excited about his conquest, 
few couple verses before that, he sa- it says Amaziah did what was pleasing to the Lord's sight. So he was doing what was pleasing to the Lord. And in that, he was able to defeat 10,000 Edomites, killed them. So he's on this high. He's like, yes, I'm so awesome. And he says, and then one day, in verse 8, one day Amaziah sent a messengers with this challenge to Israel's king, Jehoash. He says, come meet me in battle. But the king of Israel replied to the king, of, king Amaziah of Judah with this story. He says, out in the Lebanon mountains, a thistle sent a message to a mighty cedar tree. Give me your daughter in marriage to my son. But just when a wild animal of Lebanon came by and spread and stepped on the thistle and crushed it, you have indeed defeated Edom, and you are proud of it. But be content with your victory and stay home. Why stir up trouble that will only bring disaster on you and the people of Judah? He says, why are you doing this? I see, you're, you did this awesome battle. Be proud of it, stay home. Don't do this. He warns him, says, this is not a good idea. He's, ta- he's saying, you're like a thistle, and I'm like this cedar tree. Do you really want to do this? He warns him, but he refuses to listen. And he mobilizes, and he goes to battle, and they are utterly destroyed. The army's scattered. They're captured. They march to Jerusalem, demolish the walls. I mean, it's just disgraceful because he was reaching higher than he should have been reaching. He, he, he had his mind set on high things. He had his mind set on, on being greater, even greater than he already was. Instead of being grateful for his victory, he wanted more. He wanted to reunite the nation of Israel. It doesn't say that the Lord called him to do that. It doesn't say that he, the prophets told him. or It doesn't say anything. It just says that he was proud of his victory, so he reached even farther. Yes, and the way that I look at it is do not set your mind on high things, the things that the world considers high value and puts high value in. Do not set your mind on the things that the world puts a lot of value in. And I actually, I want to go back to the gifts. I, I, I want to say something about the gifts in case there needs to, So one thing about the gifts, I know it's, is that it's really important for you to know that the gifts are a gift from God. And actually the word that spiritual gifts is used there is the Greek word charismata, which means gift of grace. Because he's been talking about, you know, them not earning, you can't do things out of works and out of law. So even the, the gifts are a gift of grace from God, and they are used for your calling and your ministry. Your ministry and your calling is not a gift, but the gift is used for your ministry and for your calling. And that is something that I just wanted to point out um, just for you to dive in there a little bit more. 
Sorry. And then I also, back to verse 16, but associate with the humble and be not wise in your own opinion. You know, there's something that Daniel and I get complimented on a lot, and I didn't really understand it because I just figure everybody is that way. When you step into the kingdom, once the veil was lifted away from our eyes five years ago, like, oh, this is, you just, there's things that you do. Well, do not be wise in your own opinion is to be teachable. To be teachable. There is nothing that will shut my mouth more when I am trying to minister or talk to somebody is when they know, they know, they know, they know, they know. I want to smack them, to be honest. In Jesus I know, name. I know, I know, we have, I know. We have we a daughter. Her. I we know, had, I've been there. Yep, I know, I know. Teenage daughters do that. They know everything. I know was the F jar in our house. If that word forgot or I know came out, that was put some money in the jar. So if you find yourself in that position, if you find yourself somebody sharing something with you and you're like, I know, I know, I know, stop it. Just stop it and go, okay, Lord, I need to be teachable and I need to not be wise in my own opinion. So, and Lord, give us grace for those that still walk that way. So something else about not setting your mind on high things. So are you seeking promotion in something? Are you, is that your goal? That's setting your mind on high things. Are you seeking to expand your reach or whatever? That's, that's, that I, I see that as setting your mind on high things. You're not setting your mind on Christ and allowing him to develop things around you. There's a difference. But setting your mind on, on spiritual things, focusing on your relationship with Christ and who, who you are in Christ and allowing those things to be developed around you or are you self-seeking, trying to be a self-made person? That is putting your mind on high things. Yes. And then the other thing that really stuck out to me was do not repay evil with evil. And I think that in our world, when we think of evil, do not repay evil with evil, we, we really go to murder, rape, robbery, beatings. We go to what in our carnal mind, our world has turned to evil. But if you actually look up the word evil here, it's, I'm sure I'm not saying this correctly, but it's kakos. And it really means of a bad nature. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, you're going to hear it? Kakos. Kakos. Of a bad nature, not such as it ought to be. A bad mode of thinking, feeling, or acting. It's troublesome. It's destructive. Yes, it can be injurious, but it is not as evil in the world's sense. So we have to make sure that we are not even having a bad thought about somebody. 
You know, you, you can come down to the, the tiniest things. Road rage. Somebody cuts you off and you want to get in front of them. I mean, I'm giving you a simple example. But then the, what that opens you up to, that spirit. So this is, we need to be making sure that we are holding every little thing accountable and that we are not harboring bad things of a bad nature. So that was something Jesus that was very... own words say that if you think angry of someone, you're subject to judgment for murder. So just being angry at someone is, in effect, repaying evil for evil. Yeah. And just the turmoil that you feel when you're angry with somebody and what that opens yourself up for is awful. So... Before we get too far away, there was something I wanted to say about um, verse 10. Uh, he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with mm. brotherly love in honor, oh, yeah. giving preference to one another. So we were talking about how he's starting to give us this concept of community as Christians, this community as believers, as parts of the body, working together. Well, now he's, he's saying now in honor, which, when we looked up honor, it was... Yeah, it was really interesting. He, the Holy Spirit kept saying, you need to look up the word honor, you need to look up the word honor. And I went, we know what honor is, but... This one says, it's a this, valuing by which the price is fixed? The, what, what this honor is, is what Jesus bought and paid the price for. Recognizing it so, as the at the value that it has. The, so read it this your brothers, way. You're honoring them by recognizing the value that Christ paid. Be kindly for them. affectionate to one another with brotherly love because of the price Jesus paid for them. Giving is how that preference reads. to one another. Now this is something that caught my eye as well. Giving preference to one another. So in relationship in the body of Christ, we all have lives in this world where we have to accomplish things, we have tasks we have to do, we have jobs we have to do, we have whatever, we have dreams we have to fulfill. Well, do you look at the church body as a resource? As, you know, there are plumbers here, there are construction workers here, there are real estate agents here, there are lawyers here, there are doctors here, there are, do you look at the body of Christ and show preference to them to help enrich the community of believers? Or do you first thing go to Google and check out reviews of this contractor, you know, across town or whatever? Or does it come down to the dollar amount? Or is it the dollar amount? Do you show preference to your brother in Christ who will do things for you out of love even though he may have a higher price? But is it, are you sowing into the kingdom in that? It shows, that's showing preference. I believe that's what he's saying by giving preference to one another. Is creating this community and, use, and, and seeing each other as valuable resources as well. That's so good. I never looked at it that way. All I could think about was intercession prayer groups and how 
people don't necessarily give preference to one another. In the <laughs> they are chomping at the bit to be able to be able to share what the Lord has given them. And instead of sitting back and, and letting somebody else go in front of them, that was kind of the picture that I had. Um, which, so that's so beautiful. I love that that's your preference. But the most important thing to take away from that is, again, we are all even. We've all been bought with a very high price from Jesus, which means we're all the same. And we need to, he's asking us to love each other just because of that. Just because we need to love each other because of what Jesus went through for Pastor Tom. So that just blew me away that that was the, word, that that was the meaning of the word honor there. And we need to remember that, especially as you start to gather in your living rooms and get to know people, then it's, ooh, if I don't like them, does it mean I still love them? Lord, how do we, how do, we do this? So as you get to know people more, yeah, we, we got to remember um, that we need to give preference to one another and we need to love them as a brother and a sister. So then he goes on and he talks about repaying evil for evil, being, uh, you know, regarding good things in the sight of all men. And he says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Do not avenge yourselves. That's hard. That is hard. I feel justified and I want to avenge myself in my pride, in my self-serving flesh. I feel like I they deserve to know the truth about me or my offense is somehow translated to some kind of defense inside my heart. Like I'm defending myself with this offense. That, that's, <clears throat> do not avenge yourselves. And there's a couple of really good stories we're gonna talk about avenging yourself. Um, Daniel chapter three is one of my favorites. Daniel 3, yes. and you're going to read from NLT. Yes. You just, you hit the nail on the head, though. You said, my pride. Mm. To want to avenge yourself doesn't just come from anger. I think that anger is so fueled by pride. <clears throat> so, Daniel chapter 3, this is Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they refuse to bow down to the statue. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going in the fire. And in 16, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all reply, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up, even if we're not saved from the furnace. But we're not gonna defend ourselves because we know God has the final authority. He, he's allowing, they're allowing God to be their defender. And we all know the story. They go into the fire and 
He walks among them in the, with the, in the fire, and they're saved. But they had faith, and they also knew they did not have to defend themselves. They were up against dire circumstances. The fire was so hot, the men that were creating the fire died, just standing there at the mouth of the furnace. So they already knew it meant sudden, certain death, and they still allowed the father to be their defender. Another story of <clears throat> allowing God to defend a, or be the avenger is with Moses in Korah in number 16. So Korah goes up against Moses and says, you know, how dare you? You don't deserve this. I deserve this. He starts slandering Moses. You're giving preference to your family, accusing him of all these things. Does he defend himself? Does he try to change his mind? He says to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let each take their censer and put incense in it and set it before the Lord. And we'll let him decide. So come tomorrow, prepare yourself, and we'll let the Lord decide who is to be high priest, right? He didn't try to defend himself or his stance or why he chose Aaron or family lineage. I mean, they have all the records. He could, he could have gone all, all myriad ways in defending himself, but he did not. He said, we'll let the Lord decide. So it's just a couple of really good examples of allowing God to avenge us not being our own avengers. And then to show your enemies mercy and love. It's very... Well, if you're not repaying evil for evil, and you have a regard for good things inside of men, and someone wrongs you, and you're not to avenge yourself, and you're working out of love, what else is there? Feed your enemy if he's hungry. Give him something to drink if he's thirsty. Overcome evil with good. Because that's the only thing we have left is good. Yeah, and Jesus commands us to love our enemies. And we were having a discussion with a, some dear friends over coffee. And I love what she said. And I think it's one that we should all have written on our fridge that Thank the Lord for enemies because it teaches us to love our enemies. We can't love our enemies or learn to love our enemies unless we have enemies. And when you learn to love your enemies, it brings you to a higher place with the Lord. It brings you to an elevated level that you didn't even know you could get to or even wanted or needed until you're there. 
So thank the Lord for our enemies. Thank you, Mama Addie. I love you so much. I could uh, make a comment here. Um, Please. You know, during World War II, obviously, we paid a big price. We fought our enemies. We uh, defended people that needed our help, and we did. So I think the caveat there is in these cases, both with Cora and Daniel, they were there were accusations of harm against Your personal them. attacks. Whereas it says protect the innocent or be a voice for those who can't, right? right? I was flying, an example of this was a testimony to me. I was flying from um, uh, Japan, Tokyo to Taiwan and I was sitting next to a Japanese businessman who had been a kamikaze pilot during World War II. Before he was able, he was 16, before he could fly his mission, the war ended. But we had already bombed Tokyo, and his house was in shatters. They were destitute. So I'm sitting next to him, and I'm reading the book of Matthew, and he's an English teacher going to Taiwan. And uh, he goes, you Christians, you really intrigue me. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I was 16, and we had lost the war. My house was destroyed. We had no food. We were living on the street. And your servicemen came, and they fed us and they fed us, and then they rebuilt us, and then they fed us. I know what we would have done it had been the other way around. You Christians, you intrigue me. And so it was a, an interesting story of caring for your enemies, and of course now, look, they're no longer our enemies. <laughs> yeah. So. And that's also uh, that's so awesome. having regard for good things in the sight of all men, even your enemies. You do good things for your enemies. And like he said, this is, this is specific to avenging yourself. He says, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath to the Lord. Allow the Lord to work his wrath. And it, it's not, this, this is not, and it's not saying, he's not saying defend your, not to defend yourself either. And defending is an action in the moment. Avenging is an action after the moment, is a retaliation. It's after the fact. That's avenging. So try not to get those two things confused either. So Defense of yourself is another topic that we'll get into some other time, I'm sure. Um, it's 8 o'clock, and we're just now getting into Romans 13. Thank you, Lord. Again, Romans 13 is just very black and white, though. And I will say, Daniel looked at me the other day, and he goes, this, this is, is amazing God's how the timing. Lord sets this up. We're going to touch on Romans 13 in the midst of this election. Yeah, literally, the, you know, like in the midst of this final decision. And I just, we're just going to go ahead and read the first couple verses here just so we can tie this into what we're doing right now and we can all see the amazing timing that God has because this is seven weeks in the making here and it lines up perfectly with what we're all watching right now. So let's go ahead and just read the first seven verses. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. 
Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. I'm going to jump to 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. All right, so in this section, he speaks to authority, but he doesn't speak to a person in authority. And I want to just point that out because people have the ability to twist what God has created and what God has put in place. He, they have people have the ability to twist that to evil or to, to bad things. There, there were plenty of Caesars that did atrocious things in the midst of Paul's writing letters. And but he's still saying the authority that God, we, we were created for a governance to be like, how do I say this? We were created to rule this world. Right, but there's still a hierarchy. Yes, that's why Even he the gave angels. the tree. There, is, there has always been a hierarchy. Yes, there's always, always been a hierarchy. So there's always an authority. Something. He gave us one rule to establish a ruler. That was it. One rule so that we knew there was a ruler above us. So he's always had this authority structure of some sort that we have to be honoring to. Now, there are people who have twisted it in for their own doing. And yes, there are evil in government some places, but we still have to be subject to authority. And look what eating the apple did. Not being subject to the authority. He placed Pharaoh in, in power to reveal his glory. We just read that a couple weeks ago in Romans. He put Pharaoh in place. He, he, he used the nation of Babylon to, to teach his people, to bring his people back to him. Caesar ended up persecuting a bunch of the disciples and of, of the early church. And, and he's writing about following the governing authorities. And the Holy Spirit, God knows that Caesar's going to end up persecuting. I have... In the midst of persecution, there will still be authority, and we still need to remember that we are subject to authority. It might, it might not like look, it, it might not look good. It might not make sense. It might not make sense. But as long as 
Paul says, and the, we read in Thessalonians, that the word is free to do its work. That's what we pray for. That the word is still free to do its work. That we are still free to worship our God. Yes. Those are the concerns that we have in authority. And the only thing that trumps governing authority is God's authority. So the only time that we would never actually obey governing authorities is if it's going against God's authority, which is his word. That's it. Other than that, we have to. We have to. And we have to just trust in the Lord. So those of us here in this room and those that are listening, you know. Position I, your hearts right now that regardless of what the outcome is, remember because there are God brothers and sisters that are not going to understand. They're going to be hurt. They're not going to trust. And, and we need to be able to help them get to the other side. To, we need to be able to help them reposition their anchor and, and maybe position it securely for the first time. That it's, it's not in our present. Our hope is not found in our president. Our hope is found in Jesus. Our hope is found in God. And in his word. And that we're, we're so covered. Again, it we may win. not look like we what win. we think it's going to look. But my God, the church is awakening. They are praying with more zeal than they ever had. And, and you know, I think my question would be, if it doesn't come out the way we think it should can we pray for who God puts in office with just as much zeal as we've been praying into this election? Can we continue to press in the way that we have been? And can we rise up, rise up and be the church that we're going to be? Because we're going to need to be stronger and louder and more bold, walking with more power than we ever have before. So I, I'm at peace with it because our life is a living testimony of it doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> but he's, he's amazing, and his ways are not our ways. So be still and know, and know that, that I am God. God. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes, it's so good. So we'll dive into 13 more next week. If we really need to. Yes, I mean, it's so black and white. So, we'll, we'll, but I just encourage we'll. you to read it for yourself and just thank you guys for your time. Thank you for being here tonight. And Lord, I just pray for just a radical transforming and renewing of everyone's minds. Mm, yes, Lord. And that they walk out of here without getting slapped with worry, doubt, anxiety, and fear, but that they continue to walk in the trust that they have in you. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you. We thank you that your word is implanted in us. So I just pray for each individual here, whatever 
part of tonight, whatever part of your word needs to grow and anchor itself in them and come alive in them. I just pray for that to happen right now in Jesus' name. And we just thank you for the freedom that we have to gather here. And we thank you that that freedom is going to continue, that we get to come together and worship you and praise you and lift your name up on high and pour our love and adoration out to you together with people that we love, with our brotherly love, with our brotherly sisters. We just thank you for that freedom tonight, Lord. And I just pray for everybody here and everybody listening to sleep so soundly tonight, knowing that they are covered, that they are in the arms of the Father, and that no weapon formed against them shall prosper from their demise. Because no demise is going to come to those. So thank you, Lord. We just love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Good night, everybody.